0: Hey guys, welcome to the Appreciate Your Power podcast. Today my guest is Jackie, who has done who I actually first met by going to her event. I've been following herself on social media for a little while now. But having gone to her actual event, um, she calls herself a property strategist. They've done amazing in in doing developments and in reverbs. They've you know they've really kind of doubled down on one strategy that they work well. But one of the things that really stood out to me was the strategy and the systems. These guys are system specialists. They have everything really streamlined in their business. And it's something that I just admired from, from the get-go straight away. I love the fact that they're authentic in who they are as individuals, but also as property, they've had a huge amount of success. I'm going to let... So, Jackie, thank you for coming on.
1: Thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
0: You're sitting in... Where are you right now?
1: Well, I'm in the a little bit of mountain view in the background there. I have chosen to... Be-
0: <laughs> oh, Which is great. Perfect. So tell us about Jackie. How did you how did you want get into property? What was Jackie doing when she was even before property? What was Jackie doing at 16?
1: what was Jackie doing at 16 so Jackie at 16 had a dream to sing and dance on the West End stage that's um, that was my dream Uh, and that's why I said my whole teenage years was just every time when I wasn't in school I was dance lessons singing lessons in some sort of amateur show and yeah that, that was what I worked so hard to be able to do.
0: Wow and and how did you transition into property what was that thing that gave you that aha moment like I need to be in property now? So um, after
1: the uh, performing arts um, passion, I tried to get into drama school, but I failed. Uh, Tried to make uh, the the career work without that and that didn't happen. Uh, And so I actually went back to university, trained in arts management and wanted to go into like running a theatre. That was my uh, vision. Mm -hmm. realized that was really freaking hard as well famous Mm -hmm. acting not something that i wanted to pursue and uh, i ended up working working in market research so i was working in central london uh for a research agency who worked for really big brands uh, and I worked on the project management side. I worked on the, uh, in the quantitative project management side. And then I moved into qualitative research. It was actually like it was a really interesting job. So I'd get to run like focus groups for big brands, uh, getting to probe people on what they what how certain products or services made them feel and what that mm-hmm. meant big brands uh, and their marketing strategy. So it was a great mm-hmm. job. Uh, but the problem with it was that I had to do what other people told me to do which I have since found out that I'm really not very good at doing uh, and that's what led me to go hey I've, I've, I've always wanted to have my own business um, but I, I you know I watch Dragon's Den uh, and those kind of tv shows and you see these people with these big crazy visions and these innovative ideas and I thought well if if you're going to be an entrepreneur and run your own business, you have to have an amazing idea. And I didn't have those ideas. So I kind of thought I was excluded from that. Uh, and funnily enough, it was, uh, it was, it was January, 2013 on a ski holiday. You can actually see the apartment we were in just from this balcony. Uh, and it was like an amazing week of annual leave. And I just, I love traveling. I was here with my now husband, Dave glorious week away skiing. And I, that that hit of dread started to sink in my stomach because I had to go back to work on Monday mm. and I didn't want to have to do it and that made me go there's got to be some other way uh, and I'd seen my my mum and my stepdad do a couple of property refurbs and I thought maybe property could be the thing that if I can maybe work a second job build up some extra savings maybe I could start to get some buy-to-let property and over the next five years maybe have a bit more freedom uh, be able to work part-time perhaps and, and travel some more so that's that's how the idea all began
0: so how did you apply market research to property i think that's the real the one thing that first came to mind was how the you know does it apply to property if so how much does it apply to property
1: Oh, say that again. I lost you there. Say that oh, again.
0: Perfect. So I wanted to ask, market research, how much does it apply to the property business and how much do you utilise it today? More than
1: I probably realise. I think, the, especially having been on both sides of, of the more data-driven side and the more people-driven side, it's really ended up feeding in. So our approach to choosing a new research area or analyzing a deal like I'm really comfortable I'm comfortable with numbers and with like spotting patterns and trends um, in a way that I wouldn't have been before so that's the more numbers side Um, and a lot of people come to me confused about how to select an area Um, and I've kind of built a a you know we've got a process that we follow to do that and that's come from a research perspective Mm -hmm. On the qualitative side, that is really what's fed into the, it was the the foundations of strategy, really, because Mm -hmm. it's about, qualitative research is about not uh, leading people, it's about drawing out information from people, uh, being able to build trust and rapport, and ask really detailed probing questions to look for, again, to look for the patterns, and, and to then Feed that into something practical and useful. So that really has formed the framework for how property strategy uh, as a brand has begun uh, using those skills and not being. That's what I I think is really special about how we do things. So much of the property training world is like, this is how I do it. Uh, I'm amazing. Follow how I do it. And and that's not at all what we're about. We we have Mm -hmm. frameworks that we use. But for, for us, it's about that individual. Individual person, what makes them tick? What are their motivators? What are their drivers? What are their barriers? And how can you create a plan that works for that specific person? And so, I think those skills have really come come to their come into their own, uh, and and under my own direction,
0: which is wonderful. So, how did you go about doing your first deal? So, what was that like? And talk through that whole experience. (laughs)
1: oh my god it was so hard it was so hard so it took from that moment of going i i'm gonna do this i'm gonna save up all my money and make this happen uh what followed was 18 really uh from a social perspective very boring months uh mm-hmm. because i contacted my friends and said i love you but i can't afford to spend money on wine anymore because i'm going to be saving the wine budget into a pot uh for a buy to let property uh and they all obviously thought i was crazy um but i i I learnt how to, uh, Jamie Oliver's got a book called Money Saving Meals.
0: Mm.
1: I had this book and in that book it teaches you that it's cheaper to buy a whole chicken uh, then all the component parts of a chicken, uh, but mm-hmm. you just have to learn how to join a chicken. So I learned how to join a chicken, to save money on chicken, to put into the pot for a buy-to-let deposit. Um, my car got written off and I didn't buy a new one. I put that money into the pot um, and um, played the credit card game. that Vitalet lenders weren't quite so strict on it at that point. So I spent on my uh, interest-free credit card and saved the money instead. Uh, and so I scraped together that and also I was working another job alongside Um, research at the time and so I managed to save up a pot of about 18,000 pounds Mm -hmm. uh, and during that time so it took 18 months to actually buy the first property from that Mm -hmm. point of the idea happening Um, and I wasted time researching all different areas going out on property viewings in the evening trying to figure out how to build a deal analyzer because i wasn't doing any courses or anything i did not have any, a mentor i was just reading books i was just like trying to figure out how to analyze a deal how to choose an area wasting loads of time until eventually settling on an area not too far from where we were living mm-hmm. in southeast london uh, a place called Erith uh, it was a disgusting one bedroom flat that probably hadn't ever been cleaned since the 80s. I've never been hoovered, the guy who lived there didn't look like he knew how to use a hoover. Um, disgusting bathroom. Uh, so it's 108 and a half thousand pounds that we bought that first property for. And I, that was on the 25th of July, 2014, we completed on that. And I remember it because I was there in my scrubs, tearing up those disgusting carpets uh, oh. going to the tip going to oh. top tiles but choosing the tiles choose, mapping out the kitchen trying to negotiate with builders who were like oh well she I was 25 at the time and you know, obviously the builders take one look at you and they're like oh give her a special price um so trying to like deal with all of that and um but yeah it was it was brilliant but also horrendous because it was like juggling that alongside working full-time in research Mm. Uh, so it was yeah it was really hard and then at the end of it you're like I've got one flat (laughs) one flat that's gonna net me like 300 pounds a month or something but that was the most exciting thing in the world that I was going to be able to I found a lovely tenant uh, who rented it from pretty much straight away. I got more rent for it than I imagined because it was like it was really nice in comparison to the area. So I think I only spent about seven and a half grand on the refurb, but it was just had a few little nice touches that made it really stand out. Got an amazing rental price for it. And um, yeah, when I walked away from that and uh, locked the door, not locked the door, handed over the keys to the tenant who could lock her own door. um, It was yeah, it felt like it was for me, it felt like really the beginning of something.
0: And um, what would you do differently? So if you had to go back and you had to like do this all over again, how would you do that differently?
1: I guess there's one real thing that springs to mind is that Erith as an area, I looked at it very, uh, in, in 2014, no, sorry, 2013, I looked at it very early on I was like this looks like a really good area like I was I didn't really know what I was doing but I was basically mm. calculating gross yield and thinking oh that looks like a really good gross yield on that property mm. and um, I think the, the properties were about £80,000 you could buy a one bed for at that point mm. uh, maybe 90. By the time I actually came to being in a position to go and offer on a property uh, because I was not allowed to get a mortgage because I only had a 15% deposit the only lender that would give 85% loan to value was Kent Reliance and Kent Reliance would not lend to an irresponsible 24 year old. So I had to wait till I was 25 and then they would ha- happily to give me a decision in wow. principle. So by the time I actually had that decision in principle in my hand, mm-hmm. um, I started looking at iris and the prices had gone up substantially, like the market was really hot at this point. And I was looking at things and they were like 110, 120. And I was like, oh my God, I've missed it. I've missed the boat, Iris is gone. I'm gonna have to find somewhere new. And so I sent off myself on this whole long wild goose chase, um, moving out to like Gravesend and then Gillingham, uh, all mm. the way out until eventually I was in Dover. And I put an <laughs> offer on a house in Dover um, to purchase. And then, I took a step back and went, "Hang on, what am I doing? I've kind of lost, I've lost a sense of perspective here, because actually, just because Erith is more expensive than it was a year ago, doesn't mean that it's not a good proposition now." So I mm-hmm. pulled out of the house in Dover and I went back to Erith and I bought that flat in Erith. So I basically could have saved myself a lot of time if I'd have just kept kept it in perspective, um, looking at the areas. So that's one thing that I would um, would do differently. Um, And I would also have been less involved in that first refurb. I thought I was saving thousands of pounds by tearing up those carpets and ordering everything myself. But actually the second refurb, when I started to learn about the concept of leverage, um, I was like, right, I'm not doing anything anymore. I'm handing this all over. And it it, it pretty much cost me the same price. I was like, I spent like three weeks, like lugging around disgusting things and like trying to fit door handles, but it saved me no money. So I just that that I would have done differently as well.
0: That's amazing. So did you follow your instinct when it comes to going back to that initial property in the area that you wanted, or did you kind of, you know, was it more calculated when you were looking at Dover and thinking, okay, what am I doing? Was it more like a gut feeling that you had that actually this is gonna. Can I help me? And, and kind of following on to the question, how much does gut feeling play in, in when it comes to property? For me, not very much. Um,
1: for me, yeah, maybe it's come down to the research point again, you're making me realize stuff about myself that I hadn't quite realized it. it's it's very much data driven. Mm-hmm. And that might just be uh, data in terms of like, we, we do you know comparable properties, like looking at those and being really confident our comparables is really important to us. Mm-hmm. Um, but also looking at what's happening in an area. So uh, we like to invest in areas where there's a regeneration is happening and there's a good potential for capital appreciation. So I would look at what's changing in that area. Is there a new train line coming in? Is there a new housing development happening? So yeah, gut, no. Not, not really. Um, it, it generally comes down to looking at as much data as we can, but we are so good at making quick decisions. So, looking at data, filtering out all the noise, and making a decision is probably one of the things that we're best at. So, you know, very little gut involved.
0: <laughs> so, how quick does it take you for you to move on a deal today compared to what it was, you know, a couple of years ago? Let's just so... Oh
1: God, you're right. That has improved so much. Yeah. Well, so before it took twelve months to move on something, now well we just know and this is one of the reasons why we've really focusing in on something has really helped us and I guess being as data driven as we are that really has uh, it's helped to really focus in on something because I'm very much about I'm very much about efficiency um and also I know that if you don't move fast enough you miss out on deals I've seen it happen too many times mm-hmm. so actually by following the same kind of model every single time it just means we get faster and faster and now we look at something uh we can do a very quick analysis on it in half an hour, maybe even less, um, and then and then get an offer in. Uh, and then the fact that, that feeds into a wider pipeline of many other opportunities means that you're I'm, I'm not a motivated buyer. I was a motivated buyer for that first property. because mm-hmm. I was like, I've been waiting so long on buying this damn thing. So that, um, yeah, that, that
0: has changed as well. You said focusing on, on, on what you guys are, are doing. How much does having a niche come to play when it comes to, you know, getting it right in terms of your big property business? Because a lot of people are trying to do a bit of everything. They're trying to do a bit of SA, a bit of HMO, a bit, about talent, a bit of development. Um, how much does niche matter to you guys and why is it so important to pick a niche? I uh, think it's
1: massively important I think it's so understated in the property world and actually I think we often have to look at the motivations of people who are encouraging more than one uh, business model or more than one niche because um, does it really serve most people uh, definitely not when you're trying to get something off the ground so yeah niche is really important it's helped us to be really clear about uh, we, we work with investors um, so we have investors who either just invest on a fixed rate of return with us and we also have some equity partners as well mm-hmm. so for us being able to be clear about your niche what you're doing what area you're doing it in means you're able to really clearly articulate to partners potential partners what is it that you actually do um, and how can they get involved in something I think when you've got multiple niches and particularly when you haven't built up those multiple niches over time, it becomes like a whole splurge of I basically do property and this and that and the other. It's really hard to get your head around what it is that you actually mm. do um, to convey your service um, and, to, and to even know who you're really there to even serve so uh, yeah it's uh it's a big part of our whole model that because we have the the, the property business tomes homes and then we have our uh training business where we help businesses to strategize and systemize their businesses that all very much fits around that concept that we have of, of focusing on one thing and that's not to say you can't do loads of things but it's to say you need to have a not now list and focus on the now get the systems get the team built up around what you're doing and then you can move on to the next thing if you actually need to or desire to
0: how about from a marketing standpoint so from a marketing standpoint do you, in terms of the type of tenants and the type of investors what advice would you give to anyone that wants to go into a niche but how would they go about marketing to a niche audience or in terms of tenants but also investors uh
1: i think well for one first of all identify what that niche is and I think this is why it can be really hard to actually get to the bottom of what what your what your service is because that's the first mm-hmm. step like what do you actually do and who are you there to to serve and if you can't answer those questions and you can't even get close to what you've just uh, spoken about that you how do you market when you don't know who that you're even marketing it to so I mm-hmm. think knowing uh, knowing who you are there to serve, knowing what you're actually doing to help them for for us really informs that um and i mean you can test out all different kinds of things so we we have um Particularly with our investors, we're very specific about what sort of people that we're really ideally set up to serve. Uh, you know, we, we do blocks of flats where our model is single lets. Um, so we've we've built that up from that initial property of being worth about hundred grand. The whole portfolio is worth over six million now, uh, maybe mm-hmm. a bit less with coronavirus. Uh, but that that's been something that we've replicated with a very clear end vision in mind, which is a portfolio build approach. This isn't a Uh, you replace your income within 12 months situation for our investors. Our investors are much more driven by the long term, by retirement motivations, by being completely hands free. So I think understanding those motivations really can then help you to speak to who your audience truly is um, Mm -hmm. and and decide where you actually put your attentions into. Because you probably see this too, people, you know, desperate to get more followers on Instagram when the sort of investors that they're looking for probably aren't maybe even hanging out on Instagram. No, so no, no. what what is actually the purpose of all of it? So for us having that clear vision that then feeding into who your market uh, space is as you've just been saying and then using that to guide how exactly you approach finding these uh, the people mm-hmm. that you're looking for uh, really makes the whole thing so much more methodical and you waste a lot less time I don't know if I answered your question there but
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, perfectly, yeah perfectly. so how about when what advice would you give to someone who's trying to attract investors how do they go about doing that so
1: I would say first of all look at your business model and say what mm-hmm. sort of people would want to invest in that uh, and then it might then the question might be how are you actually wanting to structure that um, so, if you're looking for investors who want to be uh, to be equity partners, they're going to be uh, probably a different place to then someone who you're just wanting to invest smaller sums on a longer term basis. So, be mm-hmm. clear about what sort of the ideal investment structure is for you, and based on that ideal investment structure, say what sort of person would be interested in that, and based on their interests, where could I find them, and then that can help you to. You know, it's it's all an iterative thing it's not like you'll just try it and it will work out perfectly but is it going to be better to find people online uh, is it going to be better to uh, join a private members club or another industry specific group um, I think it can be great also to look at the background that you've got so mm-hmm. a previous uh, careers that you've had uh, do you have a community of people who you understand their drive and motivation and can mm-hmm. you build an invest you know, get your investment proposition to work to serve people that you already have because I, I think mm. that's a, a huge thing with investors is building that trust and that rapport and if you've already got a group of people who you have that trust and rapport with and who you understand like I don't know uh the, uh, the police force as an example maybe you used to be a police officer you understand the the pain points and the motivations of people in the police force mm. and how property can best serve them so could you potentially build a uh, an offering for police officers that means that you can serve them like no one else can.
0: I, that's that's some golden advice, it's something that I keep going on about and I think most people uh, tend to ignore it because they're trying to do what everybody else is doing. It kind of leads me on to nicely. In terms of finding the right investors, because a lot of networking happens within the property industry and the property industry is quite a small circle. Why is it essential for people to go outside of that circle and find investors in other places? Like in terms of percentages as well. How many are percentages mm-hmm. of people forming in the property industry and how many are the outside?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's really important to figure out what's going to serve you best and I think it will depend as as well about what particular model you're doing Uh, because if you're doing something that's you know you're getting incredible returns from you're probably going to something that's maybe a bit more high risk finding investors from within the community may well be more appropriate because you're going to find people who understand the risks maybe have some experience in doing so so they're they're appropriate for it Um, but also they're probably motivated by higher risk and higher reward so therefore, mm-hmm. it's, it's a better it's better match. So what, what are you doing and what sort of returns are you getting? Because if you go to property networking meet and say you can offer someone a fixed rate of 5%, there's probably not going to be something that's going to motivate them. Um, mm-hmm. But then having said that, if you have got something that is that fits that bill, property uh, circles could be a great space, but it is crowded and you are going to be competing with many other people who are also offering a similar service so I think that's Mm -hmm. why looking outside of those circles if you can be the person who does property in those circles well Mm -hmm. you've already just eliminated most of the the competition Uh, and Mm -hmm. what I would say as well is because property is definitely not a very focused world generally we're trying to change that but it's not Mm -hmm. a very focused world It's probably more likely you're going to find someone who doesn't exactly know what they're looking for uh, as an investment Mm -hmm. opportunity, which therefore means that you're more likely to waste time on potential opportunities, potential prospects that don't actually lead anywhere. Whereas in other circles that those numbers could be very different.
0: Mm, perfect perfect that's i love that advice in terms of personal branding then how much do you would you consider yourself to have a personal brand and if so how why is it so important to you yeah i am
1: I, I love being able to support and help people, and I want to be able to make a difference in the property world. I I see so many people waste so much time uh, being distracted and not getting the results that they want, and many of much of that we've been through ourselves as well. So I want to like pass on that knowledge and experience. Um. So for me, I I do all the things that equate to building a personal brand because I know it will help me to do those things for other people. Um, mm-hmm. I'm actually by nature I'm an introvert. Um. I um, very much have become I've built my comfort zone doing things like this but it's not it's not natural for me I was the quiet kid in primary school who sat in the corner and felt that you she didn't have any friends
0: <laughs> um, and that's
1: um, that that's that's changed this is something that is big it's all learned behavior for me and performing arts thing was something that uh, I was given I was really not very confident as a kid. And they gave me, they thought they'd try me out by just throwing me in the deep end and give me the lead in the school play and just see what happens. Wow. Um, and it and that changed the course of the next sort of 10, 15 years of my life because I thought, wow, that made, you know, I, I, my confidence grew so much from someone having that belief in me. Oh, my God, I'm getting a bit emotional mm-hmm. talking about this. Um, having someone having that belief in me. And so I thought this must be the thing that i meant to do. But actually it wasn't and uh, it was very hard for many um, many other reasons so uh, that's a long way of saying that yes um, I do have a personal brand we do have a personal brand strategy is it my comfort zone definitely not but will I will it help more people by me doing it yes and also looking like this I'm not what you would consider a property investment strategist to look like and so I have to be uh, coming across 10 times 20 times maybe even 100 times better than someone who looks like you expect and so the personal brand is really important because i have to put across just how damn hot i am at what i do for people to be interested and take uh, take me seriously so that's what the personal brand is about
0: you have you've gone and created um a, a bit of a side income as well by educating people why is it important to find another sort of approach in terms of how you can build another income within the property industry? For example, myself, you know, I run a you know, marketing agency and a personal branding agency, so we build communities. I try and offer my services to people within the property industry to build more credibility, but also to stand out. How important is that to offer other value points, uh, not just investment, but other value within the property industry? It's a really good question. Well,
1: I guess for us, or well, for me, the property strategy came more out of a, a passion. Because what I found from going through property was property, property isn't my passion and it has done incredible things for our lives. I wouldn't be sitting here in the Alps for 16 weeks this year if we hadn't done property. But from doing all of that, I realized that it's just, it's not, it doesn't, doesn't get me out of bed in the morning. Uh, and when we worked to work with some amazing mentors on strategy. And it made me realize how much the work that I've done in market research fitted into what we learned about business strategy. And we have just completely embraced that approach uh, to build homes, homes. And then that's what we're passing on in property strategy. So for me, it wasn't it wasn't so much about another income stream. It was about something that lights my fire because property is, mm. property is what helps us live our lives. Property strategy, you know, we... I, I charge I charge for the services because I think it's important to be paid for the value that you bring um, mm-hmm. and also for people to value what they're doing so that they take it seriously and take proper action from it but for me that's been more born out of of passion for it um, but in terms of like it's actually working out well for us at the moment in the current situation because, Whilst the property business is in a bit of a hiatus at this point, the property consultancy and training side is like is is exploding. So actually, it wasn't really the plan, but we've ended up with two complementary businesses, which um, is is great. More from a mental health point of view than anything, because it's like, right, property is really quiet. Let's pour energy and time and passion into something else, which is meaning that this lockdown is just flying by. I think I'm going to have to ask for an extension.
0: that's amazing well that's the thing like there's so much positivity in in creating something another offering for that industry so i appreciate you sharing that now to go on um a bit more about a bit more about jackie as an individual because i I think i think there's something that a lot of people are missing as a female in property what are some of the barriers that you think a lot of other women face within the industry, and does it affect you as an individual? Uh, and so wanted to ask you that for mm. now.
1: Yeah, I think there has been a lot of barriers to doing it, and I think that I've got the double whammy of young and female. uh, mm. That it has made it really hard. You people don't take you seriously, and you have to be you have to be better than a man sorry men but i have to be better than you are for, for me to have a chance of being taken seriously mm. which probably there's a benefit to that because we've uh, I've, I've had to step up and i've had to be mm. the best which is actually as pe- as the personal brand builds and people realize that Jackie's not just a young female you know la 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 that it, it it means that you you are you you lead the way so I think it has been a benefit in that regard um but yeah definitely being in a in a man's world I think often the hype thing as well I've found that if you're in a room of men who are quite often taller than me you you find yourself automatically in more of a subservient looking up place which doesn't help so I think I've had at, at points I, I used to um battle that by like getting dressed up quite seriously like, I bought some like power dresses and I bought some heels to raise me up to the eye level um and that me at that time to to feel like I was I could compete and uh, with the with male counterparts now that I'm more comfortable those have gone the heels have gone the comfies have come back out again and, that, and it's just more me but it's been a real um it's been a real journey to, to feeling comfortable just being who I am uh, doing this because at points I've just you kind of feel a bit like like a bit like a fraud, really. Like, a, do I really belong doing all of this? Um, and that's mm. yeah, that has been hard.
0: And what advice would you give to the other women out there or any anyone that's going through some sort of disadvantage, like whether it's age or whether it's high, you know, whatever you know that person may feel? What advice would you give to them?
1: so my my um my reaction to this was once I realized that it was putting us at a disadvantage was I hired my dad (laughs) because he he looks like you would expect him to look he's got the gray hairs love you dad um he's got he you know he's older he has that that presence that you would expect so I, I think when you realize that you, you're just trying to get to an end result and it doesn't have to be you that gets you there it can be the power of your team that gets you there and actually just letting go of feeling like you have to be the one doing everything that was really liberating and it's really important for building a business that isn't all about you that's about the collective of the team that you have around you so that that yeah. uh, as a very tactical uh practical way that you could deal with it that's one of the things that we did uh and and another one would be um so i i i spent some i went to a therapist last uh last year year before last year before last mm. and just worked through some of the things that i think were ho- holding me back um i think my need to to my desperate need to always please other people was holding me back my need for perfection was holding me back um and actually getting to the root of what some of those things were all about and mm. letting go of that has been has been incredible actually and I, I wouldn't be the I'm, I'm doing things like this now I think if I did you know when I did this a couple of years ago I was trying to be something like I'm not anymore I just I'm, I'm me and some of you who are listening here are going to think what an idiot and that's totally cool with me Um, and that would not have been totally cool with me a few years ago I'd have been devastated so mm-hmm. learning to be your version of something and yes it's great to have mentors and people that you look up to but I definitely took that slightly the wrong way uh it's with some of my mentors I was trying to almost emulate aspects of them but that was never mm. going to work because I'm not them they're not me and I'm, you have to find your own way to to be you to be yourself to to uh, to attract more the people who resonate with you but they can't resonate with you if you're trying to trying to be something else and put on a front
0: mm. Well, that's, that, again, that's a super powerful because I think for a lot of people out there, they assume that everything for them comes easily, and we all have to fight through uh, our battles. So I appreciate you being you being open. In terms of you know, delegate. You said something about delegating and overcoming those barriers. How important are structural systems within the business? But also, what advice would you give to someone that's like, starting out? How do they put those structural systems in place?
1: They are fundamental so for us being in that little ski apartment over there and thinking I want to go on holiday all the time that right. was why we started in property and what happened was that bought the first property and then we started buying many more properties because we figured out how to work with investors uh, and then we started doing loads of property training and getting really distracted and trying to do everything you know from going just to just doing buy to let we were looking at like rent to rent we were looking at commercial conversions flips all kinds of stuff. And we just got completely overwhelmed and also just lost sight of the whole plan. And we're just working so hard when the point was, yeah, yeah, you're going to have to work hard in order to not work hard. But the point is, I wanted to be on the ski slope. I didn't want to be just sitting in an office working for like a 100 hours a week. That wasn't the plan. Um, And so once we I was—I'm really lucky. Some uh, an amazing man called Elliot Kay. Uh, he re- reached out to us in 2015 uh, mm-hmm. because he could just tell from my some of my social media posts that something wasn't right. Like I've gone from this like excited, oh my god, networking events, so it's wonderful, to like some negative posts. And he reached mm-hmm. out and he was like, "Why are you doing all of this? Like, what's the point of it all?" Um, I just burst burst down into tears I was just like I just I want to hang out with Dave and I want to go on holidays and I want to have time to be a family and and uh and I realized that what I was building was not going to give us that I was building another double job it wasn't a financial freedom life that I was on the route to it was just yeah it was a good financial life but really busy and so Mm. thanks to what the path that he set up set us off on we focused far more on uh what was the business that we were building uh what mm. were the uh, what was the infrastructure that we needed to have in place um mm. to be able to mean that and our vision was we want to go on holiday every six weeks that was the vision and um that is only possible through having the right systems and having the right team and in order to get to the point of having that and this is why again it all comes back to that point of if you focus on something mm-hmm. uh choose your business model uh, whatever mm-hmm. it is HMOs you focus on HMOs you figure out what the challenges are of doing HMOs so that you can get quicker and quip- quicker at replicating um and write the processes uh, and uh that is required to do HMOs so every time you do it you learn what the pitfalls are you can be less involved uh and the, that that's what you need to be able to actually properly systemize something and to do it in mm. a way that isn't just abdicating responsibility because uh delegation by abdication that's uh that's not the way to systemization Mm -hmm. that's just um gonna lead to more problems down the line and is indeed where a lot of fraud uh, can happen in businesses because we've stepped too far back without the proper systems of oversight so uh that that start by focusing on one thing those of you who've already got uh, got that that one thing or a couple of things off the ground, then it's about saying right what is the what's the framework and the structure that we're operating under? What are the different functions within the business, um, and how is my team structure going to fit within that? And therefore, what systems do we need within that framework to be able to scale this up, and for you to be able to move to whatever role you want in the business? That could be that you want to stay as uh, leading on sourcing. Maybe you love the sourcing element. Maybe you want to be director of sourcing. Maybe you just want to. Be able to oversee as essentially ceo or maybe even chair like know where you want to be and design your your framework and your systems around it and, and having that clear vision of what you're wanting the business to achieve and therefore what you need to have in place starts to make the whole thing way clearer
0: mm, that's important I, I think you've given us a lot of value for a lot of people who are listening how do you then go from systems to to stepping out of the business? Because I think a lot of people go into property for that financial and that time freedom, but they struggle with getting themselves out of business. How have you guys been able to do that?
1: Uh, having a great team. And actually, it's been, it's been quite a journey figuring out the best way to get a great team. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we hired our first virtual assistants um, 2016, I think, 20, maybe even 2015, and it was a car crash. They they were they were not good and we you know we had we had one lady who we asked for her help making a deal pack and, and she kept putting the map sideways like and we kept having to have these sessions with her to say no, no the, the map you you take a screenshot and you put it in the same way that you it was on the screen now we just thought god this is stuff. oh gosh really hard work because you have to baby them through everything okay if you're having to do that you have the wrong person. <laughs> Mm. Uh, and I think that idea of getting a a great team of people um, around you who who share your values so that you know that they will behave in a in a way that's aligned with how you would behave in your own business mm-hmm. that is really important um, and to get people who are talented who are skilled at what they do and get them in the right roles so that they, and give them enough of a framework that they're not you know Going crazy, mm-hmm. but also a bit auto- a bit of autonomy for how to run things day to day. Because mm-hmm. what we found was that um, until we give enough autonomy uh, by giving that cl- those clear roles and responsibilities in the areas of accountability, uh, mm-hmm. that every single question guess who was answering it us. To be fair, we can mm-hmm. answer that question from anywhere, but a million questions were coming back to us. So that's um, that clarity on those on accountability uh, on the roles. And having those um, people who are great and who can take uh, take initiative and take ownership to deal with problems, that, that's really important so that you aren't doing everything. You have still got, mm. even if you're not doing a lot, um, to have a property business that's giving you financial freedom, you are still going to have a heck of a lot of responsibility. And you are still going to have to check in, but it's just making sure that you've got that structure to check in. So if you've got a large business, what are your what are your rhythms for checking in with your team? Um, Mm. How often are you having those catch-up meetings? And at the moment, we're still uh, doing a lot of catch-up meetings and we do play a management role for most of the team. So obviously Mm. our next step, we need to get someone who can play more of that managing director role where people can feed, they can ensure that those management structures are in place, people are okay and feed into us. But it's a process and you don't just step back immediately. But a lot of it you can do from wherever you want to do it if that's um if that's part of the vision it's just a uh, t- it's patience and I know that's not what people want to hear people want to hear that it's going to be quick and easy and you can do it in a couple of weeks but actually I know the people that are actually seriously wanting to do it are going to be willing to put in the, the work and the rewards are incredible and I would do it 10 times over again
0: mm, that's super important so going on to the last few questions of the podcast i want to try to throw some questions that might throw people off um and it's not a lot of people off if, if for those people who haven't <laughs> listened to our our interviews what's one thing that nobody knows about you other than your partner probably what's one thing that nobody knows about you oh my
1: god that is really hard um nobody except Dave yeah Dave does know everything so Dave would know I guess probably Dave's the only one who sees how hard I am on myself um I put a huge amount of pressure on myself and I I know that sometimes I can come across that just everything you know everything's fine everything's in control just because that's who I am but yeah sometimes it, it does get uh it does get too much and it does get overwhelming and um yeah and the amount of pressure that i put on myself to to do things and and, be, and do and look after everyone and do the right thing is ridiculous um, and sometimes i i crumble because of that
0: how about something in cities so for example like we had we had some funny stories come in so we had one person who drank um oil thinking it was milk Um, oh okay um, oh
1: oh, okay um (laughs) okay so some people something from a long time ago know this but maybe I'll tell it anyway um so I I went to a wedding once where obviously towards the end of the night you are um you know you've had quite a good time uh it got to that time of the night that you know all good weddings get there it's flaming Sambuca time so I'd never done a flaming Sambuca before, and I'd never done it when I was as wasted as I was at this point. (laughs) So I, um, the the flaming Sambucas get lined up. I throw my hand, um, I get told you have to put your hand over it to put, throw your hand over it to put the flame out then you have to smell the fumes and then you have to down it um now the problem was because we time passes in ways that you doesn't normally pass when you're this drunk um that sambuca was but boiling boiling hot um so i i put my hand down on the glass and but it didn't it didn't it, 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 well, the ring was burning hot so it burnt my hand but I actually didn't even manage to put out the the flame I then grab it, burn my fingers in the process and sniff in the flame um, and uh, and then proceed to pour boiling Sambuca all over myself oh my god I had uh, blisters all up my nose
0: uh. <laughs> I forgot
1: about that <laughs> so there you go there's a uh, Jackie Tomes at her finest moment <laughs>
0: I love that. I love that. I love that. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely one to remember, actually. Uh, that's definitely one to remember. One of the other questions that I ask people, say you've gone and done everything in life. You've accomplished all the dreams. You've made all the impact that you want to do. You've done everything that there is to be done. um, And you're literally on the verge uh, of dying at that point in time. And someone hands you a tissue and says, what are your three truths about life what would you say in that at that point
1: um perfection perfection uh, is a delusion doesn't okay. exist um i would say you 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 hold the power to change anything that you care hard enough uh, to work at. And three truths about life. Uh, and ooh. oh. <laughs> go, go on a holiday and travel the world it's brilliant
0: <laughs> I, th- I thought something else was coming There, though. I thought there was a slight hesitation I was like is this something else that she's gonna say or you kind of went with the holiday thing from the door is there something else no no gonna... I
1: no I don't think so um no I, I think there probably is something a bit more profound than that but I couldn't I couldn't find it
0: <laughs> no worries. And and lastly, one of the questions I want to ask was what is the difference that you want to make in the world? So if there's what if there's one thing that you want to change in the world or one thing that you want to make an impact on, what would that be?
1: I want people to live a life that they that that live the life of their dreams. Um to be able to say that to be able to say that you lived a life that was uh Beyond your your wildest dreams, and you did things that that made you happy, um, and you did things that you didn't believe were possible, to be able to help people to live those lives um, and overcome the barriers to make all that happen, uh, and to give the the support um, and the care that's required to get people to to step up and live their lives in that way, I'd like I'd like to be remembered for that.
0: That's amazing. So well thank you Jackie for your time. I really appreciate it. This has been amazing. Um I hope you enjoy the rest of your little ski holiday. Um and, and 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 guys for those of you guys who are listening into this I think it's just amazing how much value was given out this podcast you know we talked about getting niche in your strategy we talked about systems and strategy we talked about some of the things that aren't so great or that aren't so glorious to look at and then also uh, to get to know jackie as an individual from away from the property strategy and away from all the success that she's had so guys thank you for listening and hopefully i shall see you